Hey, Rachel. Hello, Brian. So how was your week? I mean, remember the old days when this whole quarantine was just beginning and people were inviting animals to their Zooms to make Oh, yeah, that was cute. We talked about that, like a goat or a llama. Yeah, like farm animals. Yes, yes. Well, now we are entering the phase where people are actually becoming animals. Yes. Oh, the cat lawyer, the cat lawyer. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. The cat lawyer. You had on before. You have your own cat snapchat filter i, or I was curious about it so yeah I, I downloaded the filter and i put it on and i i did not realize which i guess is what happened to the lawyer that it stays on it becomes your <laughs> default <laughs> filter what could possibly <laughs> <So the> next, <laughs> go wrong <laughs> i mean everything but i mean it is like kind of disarming to show up in a meeting as yes, a, an animal but then it becomes deeply deeply disturbing deeply disturbing correct just like the yes. uh, week we've just suffered through so why don't we talk about it this is no nope. let's talk about it the this podcast nope. <laughs> where we shut it down <laughs> whatever fuck it my name is no my sign is no my number is no you need to let it go you need to let it go need to let it go Okay, Rachel, uh, why don't you tell us, we have a very special guest this week. Yes, we do. Back for the second time, uh, Andrew Goldman, host of the amazing podcast, The Originals. Welcome back to Nope, Andrew. I can't. I can't tell you how excited. I, I weeks. I've been. I've been looking forward to this. I am. I am thrilled. It's uh, you. You guys really are. Uh, as I said on my own podcast, my favorite pop culture uh, current events podcast. I hope that's not too narrow for you, but but uh, we'll I take think it's any. This. We'll take any compliment we can get. I love. Uh, I, I am. I am so. I told Brian. I'm so much less hammered because I'm on my own. Because because Brian, Brian, as as other guests will know, has has fantastic whiskey and i i availed myself of too much of it the last time so i am not slurring this time and i'm, I'm just so proud of myself for that well we'll see i don't, <laughs> I don't think you slurred last time You're i did fine, i slurred but, okay but uh, brian and i have been listeners um of the originals from the very beginning and it's now part of la magazine and it's great and we'll talk more about it in the second half of the podcast and play some truly bananas clips so stick around for that um, and yeah, let's let's yeah, get into yeah. it. So in the meantime, Rachel, you and I had a little exchange on Twitter. I love it. We talk <laughs> in text almost every day. And yet I love it when uh, you raise a topic with me via Twitter. So why don't you tell <laughs> yes. good people what happened this week? So it was AJ's uh, seventh birthday this week, my son. And uh, we've been receiving a lot of Amazon packages addressed to him from grandparents, aunts, uncles, whatever. And last week I opened a box and it was addressed to AJ and um, it was a whipped cream <laughs> dispenser. No, with wait, those... wait, wait. Like a ready whip <laughs> can that was like like a soda stream that you would fill up with your own whipped yes. cream? Or like yes, with your own whipped cream. And the whippets. Oh, it had the whippets. Oh. It had the canisters. Yes. And I thought, oh, like what an unusual gift but i guess like aj likes whipped cream and maybe this is a creative idea i don't know and there was no packing slip so i figured the person who sent it would ultimately <laughs> identify themselves, themselves but <laughs> but no um so my mother-in-law calls on saturday and is like did you get the gift and i said oh yeah the whipped cream dispenser <laughs> thank you so much aj's gonna love that um 
And, and she's like, no, that's not what I sent. I sent a geode kit, like those rocks that you crack open and it's crystals inside. And I said, no, um, I did not yet receive that. And she if was by, like, if well, by, I'm... if by geode, you mean whipped cream dispenser. And then she does a whole like fact finding investigation. And she's like, well, Amazon said they dropped it off. And she sends me a picture of the front of my house with the box in front of it, which is really creepy that Amazon does that. But the, the, yeah. And um, I was like, I did not get this geode kit. This is this is a big whodunit. So I call Amazon the next I Google. How do you find out who sent you something <laughs> from Amazon? And I find out you have to actually call Amazon. So I call them. I I give the whole tracking number and they say, oh, yes, this uh, that was that package was sent from Susan Wartman. That's my mother in law. And I was like, oh, so she did send me the whipped cream dispenser. And I said, and what was in the box? Oh, it was a geode kit. So I was like, no, right. no, 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 no. but I, I got dragged into this because you tweeted you know about it. Yes. Like you put out an APB on Twitter to find out who it was. And well, like, I thought maybe you felt bad that you forgot my birthday and sent I, me a whipped cream me dispenser. Again, I know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like the uh, is that the, the Tony Shea starter kit that you got in the mail? Uh, you got... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, maybe too soon, perhaps. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> okay, so it was it wasn't me. Although we did do that segment a while ago about how I kept getting uh, birthday gifts, including one from you, with like inscrutable notes that I could. At least it had to... a note. This <laughs> had nothing. This was so mysterious. But I mean, I guess someone at the. Amazon uh, distribution facility put the geode kit in someone else's box and put this in mine. There was a big switcheroo and there's some college student somewhere who was waiting for his whippets and got some rocks. <laughs> so wait, the elephant in the room you're not addressing is what are you going to do with the whipped cream canister now? Is it going to be like a science lesson or a... No, I mean, I can keep it. Amazon said I don't have to send it back. So now like, I feel like I won this exchange. Yes, like, like they're sending you got a, a... <laughs> you got a gift of like drugs basically. And AJ yeah, got uh, nothing. No. <laughs> what a great mom well, you are. Well, they're, they're sending another geode kit. So okay. I got the geode kit i got the whipped cream canisters and um yeah it's, everybody have you done have you done a whip it I, a long time ago i would not do that but now not, like i don't because I, I don't really have the brain cells to spare at this point <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like i've grown some back over this year but I've, yeah anyway Okay, yeah. so uh, why don't we talk about something equally important, which is the uh, impeachment trial that we've been <laughs> to equally important <laughs> to this mystery. <laughs> A similar mystery as to who incited the uh, riotous mob that uh, desecrated the Capitol. Um, yes, yes. So, Rachel, you've you've been having some thoughts about the, uh, especially about the defense, the Trump defense. Yes, I, I mean, I'm still like processing everything. I've been watching it on and off today and yesterday was like totally bananas. Um, I feel like never before has there been such a wide gulf between the talent of the prosecution and the defense teams. Oh, yeah. Um, and the headline in The New York Times was Trump enraged by lawyers <laughs> performance. And like, I guess, like, when is he not enraged? So is it like that different from any normal day? No, I but, saw a thing um, that he was eight out of ten. No. Oh. To me, that's like a chill day. That sounds like he's on like Valium like or Trump. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean, who are these people on Trump's legal team? Because they're new characters to this drama because 
his last legal team quit um, when Trump wanted them to argue that the election was stolen. And also he was not paying them because he's <laughs> not exactly known for paying his legal bills. So this new team is like a week on the case. And to be fair to them, they did have to get up to speed rather quickly. But that said, I think the Texas lawyer with the cat filter would have done a better job <laughs> than this clown, Bruce Castor. Um, so who is Bruce Castor? He's, oh, tell, um, tell me, Rachel, who is Bruce yeah. Castor? <laughs> <laughs> who really is? We don't know really who he is in his soul, but he's the former district attorney of Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, known for declining to prosecute Bill Cosby for sex crimes. Um, and after his performance yesterday, I would say his legal career is over. And um, as he was making his case, Alan Dershowitz was on Newsmax saying, I have no idea what he's doing. I have no idea why he's saying what he is saying. And and what was he saying? OK, so do you remember any of the things that he said? Because they were I, there was a so lot off the I, wall. I remember he quoted Benjamin Franklin. And then I remember there was a lot of Philadelphia content and people oh. like the live tweet was like, oh, this guy obviously has Philly pride because all of his like constitutional arguments stemmed like not from the constitutional convention in Philadelphia, just like random Philadelphia facts, like the traffic on like, 76. Or but I feel like he was calling out. It was like, it was like at a talk show where somebody calls out various locations for, for sort of cheap applause. Cause he, right. he called out Nebraska. I mean, the thing that I, Oh yeah, no, I, it's I a very, that, it's a very Nebraska, legally minded state. It's a very judicial yes, state. Quite a judicial <laughs> thinking place. What is it? judicial thinking place what is he's like most people won't tell you that but i'll tell you that and i was like thank was like, you for telling me it was that. like huey lewis heart of rock and roll in cleveland detroit <laughs> yeah heart of rock and the heart of the constitution is still beaten in nebraska yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he was kind of just like buying time. I heard that like he wasn't even planning he was riffing. on riffing. He was riffing. He was riffing. He was, yes. Um, he admitted that the Democrats had made these great points. So <laughs> they had to completely overhaul their defense strategy. So I think he was just like throwing and out. He as much as said that. He basically said that, like, well, that was better than we expected. So we're going to change the lineup here. <laughs> that was we pretty got, good. We got nothing. <laughs> Good job, guys. <laughs> we got nothing. <laughs> yes. Um, and he did some other things. He noted that um, the voters have decided that Trump lost the election, which I'm sure really <laughs> pleased his client. Um, he said that impeachment is not the proper remedy for Trump's actions. That's his argument. But he said arresting him is. <laughs> <laughs> that was classic. That was good. Um, and then he improperly quoted from a pocket constitution yeah. did you guys see that, that no was, no that was odd oh i did see i did see him uh, uh paging through that little constitution yes, yes. it looked and like he, something he'd gotten in a rental car he's company. like he's like amendment wait 10 no yes. eight seven yes. five. Oh, here it is first number one number one amendment yeah yeah um so that so that's uh that's but, bruce castor um, I, found and it, I, found, this... I did find it very edu educational because there was this uh, moment. I always thought if somebody said somebody is my senator, it meant that they owned this person. But in fact, <laughs> when somebody says my senator, it means that we're from the same state. And this was something he clarified, I thought, quite well in his argument. <laughs> you remember? Yeah, this I part? mean, <laughs> if that was the crux of the argument, then yeah, yes. he, he, he yeah. made some good points. Um, but then there was this other um, co-counsel, this goon named David Schoen, 
Um, and he's I, I didn't know who he was either. He's this Alabama based civil rights and criminal defense lawyer. He's an Orthodox Jew who represented the Ku Klux Klan, who among us. You know? <laughs> no, but he's like, no, he has a legit like civil rights defense background. And he's very proud of like taking on the cases that nobody else would take on, which Alan Dershowitz used to be at one point in his career right, before right. he went off the rails. Right. So he has a legitimate background as a real civil rights. So attorney. fine. So he represented the KKK um, challenging a law that forbade them from marching while wearing hoods. And um, he also met with Jeffrey Epstein when he was in prison to discuss his legal strategy. So great guy, great clients. And um, yeah. Oh, and also and also maintains <laughs> that he was murdered. Right. So he said, yes. I just I bet him a week before. There's no way that guy could kill himself. He was because he was so murdered. excited about the legal strategy. <laughs> he was so excited about the rest of his life that he <laughs> said, there's no way this guy was unhappy with his lot in life right now. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so that happened. And then uh, I'm going to talk about this because it's become a touchy topic, but I am unfazed and I will happily talk about it. So you may have noticed that during the (laughs) during the trial, every time he would take a drink of water, Marco, a move patented by Marco Rubio, if you recall, um, he would put his hand on his head. And Twitter exploded because it looked like his head, like he was holding his head from falling off. Because <laughs> it's like he had a faulty neck joint or something. Or like um, his mask was going to like, yeah, going to like pull off pull his off head. Off a Lindsey you know? Graham mask, right. And um, and then a, like kind of a hush fell over Twitter because someone reminded people that you're, you know, you're for modern Orthodox Jews who wear a yarmulke, if you're indoors and you're not wearing a yarmulke, or anywhere and not wearing a yarmulke for whatever reason, and he wasn't, that when you take a drink of water, you have to cover your head as if you were wearing a yarmulke and say a little bracha, a little prayer. Um, So I didn't know this fact, despite having gone to Orthodox yeshiva as a child. Um, I guess I was never— This is very interesting stuff. Like, this is— Fascinating, right? I guess I was never without my kippah while (laughs) drinking water on the Senate floor. (laughs) Imagine imagine that. So then when that happened, everyone's like, ooh, it's this religion. We must respect this bizarre behavior. To which I say, no, no, this guy— you, you need to make accommodations, right? So if he was a devout Catholic and every 30 seconds he decided to get on his knees and genuflect, you might say, like, we have a, like a presentation issue here, right? Like, this would probably, you should, like, curtail this behavior for the sake of, of appearances. Of our democracy. Right? <laughs> for the sake of our democracy. But no, he had to do that. He had to do the thing. Okay, so he did the thing. I'm just saying, I'm not, I, I'm not afraid of saying it was weird. But then it turns out, like, who told he thought you couldn't wear a yarmulke on the floor of the Senate? And it turns out you can. Like, you totally can. He's like not the, the first. They have rabbis. Dude. They have the rabbis doing the opening ceremony, the throwing out the first pitch all the time. Joe Lieberman. <laughs> Joe Lieberman. And like, what? what is this rule that he like? You can look this up. It's probably on Wikipedia. He couldn't call. Like, Google he it. couldn't call and ask. <laughs> call ahead. Have, have my assistant call ahead and find out can I wear the yarmulke? Um, so he didn't fit, you know. And then the Shabbat thing, then he asked for like special dispensation to halt the wheels of democracy so that they wouldn't have the trial on Shabbat. And, you know, the the rules are you're supposed to go nonstop day after day until the thing is done. And uh, he wanted to change that rule so that he could take Shabbat off. Okay, you can ask. No problem asking. To their credit. They granted it. They granted it. They granted it. They're like, yes, we can stop the wheels of justice. And then he's like, never mind. 
right? Then they're like, yeah, they're he like, reversed it. Yeah, he's like, ah, whatever. And I don't know if it means he's not going to show up or he's going to show up and put his hand on his head again. I don't know what it is. No, he's going to let Caster, whatever, Bruce Caster take over or this other third goon that they brought on. Oh, yeah. Talk about him. You you did a little research on him. I did not do research. (laughs) Okay. He's a personal injury attorney from (laughs) South Carolina. We have not seen his face yet, but I think he might be the designated hitter when uh, when. Uh, but he sued Trump last year and oh, really? called him like a fucking crook. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah. this is a rogues gallery of lunatics here, which it's is our finest legal eagles <laughs> soaring above <laughs> our democracy. <laughs> Okay, my uh, my anti-Semitic screed is over. I'll uh, take my punches for it when uh, when the episode drops. <laughs> okay, so I mean, I mean, obviously, nope to all these. <laughs> yes, <people>. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Shut not. it down. Let's get on to day three, or I guess uh, day two is today. Yeah. Okay. So, um, any other uh, Donald Trump news, Rachel? Yeah. So um, (laughs) this was very interesting. Um, Anytime Donald Trump collides with someone from Beverly Hills 90210, it's it's interesting. And especially this week, Um, Donald Trump uh, preemptively quit the Screen Actors Guild to avoid being kicked out. And he wrote a bonkers letter uh, on this fake presidential seal stationery to the uh, head of SAG, who is Gabrielle Carteris, who played Andrea Zuckerman in Beverly Hills 90210. And the letter he wrote was truly <laughs> astonishing. I had to check. like I had to really research to make sure this was accurate because people were posting it online. I was like, no, this has to be a joke, but it wasn't. Um, Brian, do you have the letter in front of you? Do you want to do a dramatic reading? Oh, no, I don't. Did you attach it to the show notes? <laughs> I, did. I did. Oh, wait, if it is, I'll... Uh... Uh, I'll put it in. Uh, Oh, no, I don't see it. So you do it. (laughs) Okay. Miss Carteris, I write to you today regarding the so-called disciplinary committee hearing aimed at revoking my union membership. Who cares? While I'm not familiar with your work, I'm very proud of my work on movies such as Home Alone 2, (laughs) Zoolander, and Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, and television shows, including The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Saturday Night Live, and of course, one of the most successful television shows in all of television history, The Apprentice, to name just a few, exclamation point. I've also greatly helped the cable news television business, said to be a dying platform with not much time left until I got involved in politics and created thousands of jobs at networks such as MSDNC and fake news (laughs) CNN, among many others, which brings me to your blatant attempt at free media attention to distract from your dismal record as a union. Your organization has done little for its members and nothing for me besides collecting dues and promoting dangerous, American policies and ideas, as evident by your massive unemployment rates and lawsuits from celebrated actors <laughs> who even recorded a video asking, why isn't the union fighting for me? These, however, are policy failures. Your disciplinary failures are even more egregious. I no longer wish to be associated with your union. As such, this letter is to inform you of my immediate <laughs> resignation from SAG-AFTRA. You've done nothing for me. Regards, President Donald J. Trump. <sighs> Okay. Okay. So, so much. So much to unpack there. So much. Okay. First of all, all of half, more than half of those, nearly all of those qualifying appearances were cameos, right? So, of course, except so. for The Apprentice, every single one of them was. 
Yeah. Uh, well, I SNL, he could have qualified for a like guest appearance. Uh, okay. Emmy, I can, you ima- can you imagine being a former president of the United States writing a letter and leading with the fact that you had a cameo in Home Alone 2? <laughs> That's my introduction. You may know me from my appearance in Home from Alone Zoolander. 2. From Wall Street 2, Money Never Sleeps. <laughs> Correct. Okay. So um, this must have been devastating to Gabriella Carteris. How did she respond? <laughs> Her response, I mean, I just think she should be the new White House press secretary. I mean, I like the one they have now, but she her response was so perfect. She issued a statement that just said, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) The less said, the better. Those are the minimum number of words required to acknowledge I guess you should have just said received. <laughs> like, <laughs> noted. Noted. <laughs> I love how he points to the failure of the union as high unemployment, high jobless unemployment rate for actors. Is that news that there, that, that there is a high unemployment rate among actors? Uh, like, that's the definition what, of being an want, actor. <laughs> yes, that's, that's the, that is the job. <laughs> the job is to wait around unemployed <laughs> until you're not for a hot minute and then you're unemployed again. Who gets yeah. the job to write those letters? I mean, obviously he doesn't write the letters. Who is it? Is it, is it the, the, the little weaselly? Uh, uh, um, Jason Miller? Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, not Jason Miller. The uh, the other weaselly one that went Steven, to, has joined. Stephen Steven, Miller. Stephen <laughs> Miller. Yeah. Maybe. Does he get to do the, the, uh, the SAG quitting letters now? I don't know. I think maybe he brought back Sarah Huckabee to do these. I th- okay. she's out of, she's out of work. I don't know. She's yeah. uh... I think Melania wrote this one. <laughs> no, the grammar, the grammar is too good. <laughs> it would have been like right. be gone. It had like articles <laughs> in be, it. Be resign. <laughs> okay, so um th- this got us thinking, Rachel. We talked about this on the phone a little bit. Like how interesting and a little bit odd it is that Gabrielle Carteris is the head of SAG she just emerged she, right, like right. a and phoenix isn't there a from the ash. Wasn't, wasn't like Laura Ingalls Wilder the president? Melissa Gilbert <laughs> was a previous president of SAG. And before um, Gabrielle Carteris, it was Ken Howard, who was known for playing Thomas Jefferson in the 1972 movie. No, he was, the, he was the white shadow. shadow. The white shadow. Oh, he was the white shadow. <laughs> Still, the point remains <laughs> These are B tier at best, like fleeting fame kind of celebrity. Well, you need to have you need to have time to do the job. If you're working <laughs> on actual <laughs> film or TV projects, you don't have time to be the head of SAG after. Right. So R- Rachel, true. you and I were brainstorming who should be who should, <laughs> who should Gabrielle pass the torch to next? Who fits this mold? Maybe someone from I, the, I mean, like the neck the following. And you have to be too. like a B actor who hasn't done much. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think like you have to be a B-list actor who has not worked in 25 years. So I think, I mean, the thing, the person who came to my head immediately was um, Tempest Bledsoe. (laughs) Vanessa. She was Vanessa, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Wait, what about Rudy? Rudy might be good. Keisha Knight Pulliam. She would be good too. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of good people who sort of, or um, what's her name? Alexis Bledel from um, (laughs) Gilmore Gilmore Girls. She would be good. She she works. She's in this. She was in the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Also, the first first name that came to me was Squiggy, but then I realized he just recently died. (laughs) (laughs) Squiggy would Squiggy would have been amazing, David Lander. Yeah. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. And uh, Laverne is alive, very much so. She was. uh, I just saw her in a doc. Uh, Shirley's dead. Shirley just died. 
Wait, no, yes. Laverne died. Isn't it Laverne? Oh, yeah, they're both dead. They're both dead. No, no, no. Shirley's alive. Shirley died. Shirley just died. And Laverne is dead, too, but in a different way. Cindy Williams died? Cindy Williams died. Dead to you. <laughs> She's dead to me. Wait, okay. I'm, wait, Cindy, I'm looking up. Cindy Williams dead. Uh, oh, no, she's alive. She's alive. <laughs> and there's your new so, president, ladies and gentlemen. Wiki, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the next president. <laughs> okay, no, can we shut this whole thing down? <laughs> Yes. Okay. Yes, but, okay. Yes. No. Do you have more? <laughs> no. I was just going to say, no offense to Gabrielle Carteris, who's who's doing a bang up job, and she's also the vice president of the AFL CIO. She's like our <laughs> what? modern day. Yeah, she's like Jimmy Hoffa. No, he was the Teamsters. <laughs> <laughs> he may or may not be dead. We don't know. He's missing still. For all we know, <laughs> have we ever seen and Gabrielle Carteris in a room <laughs> at the same time? <laughs> no, she's still editing the Be- West Beverly Blaze or whatever. Yes. <laughs> I was, I was so, the Blade. No, it was the Blaze or the Blade? I think it was the Blaze. The Blaze, the Blaze. Oh, yes. yeah, I was always curious because be... that's that's Glenn Beck's like uh, media empire now. The Blaze, isn't it? So maybe maybe she was handed. Maybe she's publisher of Glenn Beck's. <laughs> Fire. I don't know. Okay, let's uh, let's move on. Nope, 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 nope. Okay, can we just go to our uh, celebrity interview our in which Andrew, you are the celebrity we are interviewing? Yes, yes. I'm eager to talk. Yes. Um, okay, Andrew, tell us about your podcast, like how you came up with the idea of it. You know how you decide who you want to talk to. All that. Uh, well, I am, uh, as you may know probably the least prolific podcaster in the United States. I've got like 14 episodes, I think, of the originals, but I started it a couple of years ago and it's and it's a very slow process. I, I decided that I was going to seek out uh, people who were either, you know, major cultural figures or, or uh, people who were associated with uh, show business and, but people who I could, I could generally believe would tell me things that most of the people that I had to interview for a living over the years wouldn't tell me. I mean, I spent years and years doing cover stories for magazines like Elle, which was just basically tiptoeing around very, very cautious celebrities. So I said, there's got to be people out there uh, who are saying, who are willing to say interesting things that others aren't. And I found actually from experience that interviewing people um, over a certain age, usually over 60, uh, people who had ha- who had a career behind them, they generally would have like a lot of axes to grind. They would they would have they have formed enemies. They would either be powerful enough to not give a shit, or or so disempowered and so unable to get work that they would just basically tell everything. And I, I managed to get some I think fantastic interviews that nobody else has gotten. And um, and you know I, I partnered up for the second season with Los Angeles Magazine. And so my stars have gotten somewhat bigger as a result of the association. But uh, the interviews continue to be, I feel like, little jewels, each of them. Yeah. So you said, like, after they hit 60, they decide they don't care as much. But the guy you had last week, uh, Ron Galella, who I'd never yep. heard of before. you never um, heard of Ron Galella? I mean, I, I knew the name. I knew there was some kind of creepy thing associated with him, yep. but I didn't know who he was. Yeah. Um, and he's 90. 
So he really gives zero fucks at this point. Like, well, the thing about Ron Galella is Ron Galella, you know, was uh, this is a case where even at at 40, say say who he is, say who he is. Ron Galella. No, that's uh, thank you. Ron Galella uh, (laughs) is is the original New York uh, slash L.A. paparazzo. He is a man who took millions and millions of frames at parties, but he's most well known for having two court cases with Jackie O because he. Every day of his life for about 20 years, he stalked Jackie O, uh, who he believed to be uh, his girlfriend and who Jackie O seemed to believe uh, was a seemed stalker. To believe he was a stalker. Yeah. And we had some very interesting conversations about that because he still very much to this day believes that despite her suing him two times, uh, that she actually liked the attention and, and that because she liked she was somebody who liked fox hunts and she liked to be pursued. And, I and mean, was, it's just the classic not... thing an abuser would say, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that this is, uh, I, you know, I, I, Ron was a very genial guy. I do find that this was a fairly creepy interview. Did you listen to it right <laughs> <laughs> Like so army like, army hammer creepy or yeah a little bit well yeah a little bit <laughs> well it was under like very unusual circumstances could you tell us about the the place I where did, this yes t- well no I did uh, he was publicizing his book uh, a new uh, a fairly new memoir called Shooting Stars um, and uh, he uh, wanted to do the interview but he he fell in his house in his big. Um, Tony Soprano style mansion in New Jersey. And so we had to do the interview in a rehab facility and I was fighting with orderlies and fighting with people trying to bring him uh, plates of food to, to interview him, but he was very happy to do it. Uh, and he's very happy to talk. And I, I find it to be like, I, you know, I feel like this one, if any of my interviews will be uh, uh, studied in the future by abnormal psychologists, it will be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really all over the map. I was live texting Brian as I was listening to that episode the other night. And I was like, holy shit, this guy really is stalking Jackie O. Now he's hiding in the bathroom when Jane Fonda is giving birth. Oh, no. <laughs> now he's dishing dirt about Greta Garbo. And now, oh, here he is. He's at Studio 54 with Ali McGraw and she's naked. <laughs> and now he's talking yeah. about how his dad ate his pet. And so I just feel like we have to. There include... it is. There's the cannibalism. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Let's yeah. Let's no, I mean, Ron was uh, Ron. One of his more endearing qualities is his 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 affection for rabbits. Uh, and he had ever since uh, for many years with his wife, they had many, many rabbits in their Tony Soprano style house in New Jersey. The first one was named Pooper. The thing about the house, I visited the house. It's very, very interesting. Ron uh, you know, Ron is, uh, has a, has what I'd say a healthy ego and he installed in front of his house. I'd never seen anything quite like it. Uh, handprints. He had his own walk of fame with one person on it and himself <laughs> like, right, at his front door. Okay. Um, we have a legend. We have a clip from that, right? We, want to we have a clip. But your dad, he brought the bunny into the house, right? Yeah. He bought this bunny and we didn't. We didn't make, we lived, we, we had the bunny live in the basement in the Bronx, North East Bronx. The rabbit was in the basement and he got all, he got all dirty because we had a coal stoker. Coal was the fuel that we used and the asses 
the soot got the rabbit dirty. <laughs> the right, white rabbit? Yeah, well, it was a white rabbit, but became a gray rabbit. Uh -huh. And my father killed it and ate it. Oh, we, we couldn't stand that. That was the end. Slow of down. Yes. So the, does, the, does the rabbit getting dirty have anything to do with the fact that he killed it and ate it? No. Okay, so I love how you ask him whether the fact that the rabbit was covered in soot had anything to do with the father eating the rabbit. As I was like... so well, I was so very confused because I mean it was a very unusual situation. His 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 mother uh, insisted that this father live in the basement of their home, so he was confined to the basement, which also had the the coal furnace. So apparently, both Bunny and possibly father were covered covered in in coal dust. Um, you know, I didn't know. I was. I thought to myself, "What a horrible thing that that this that this father." ate his pet and no wonder he had a he didn't necessarily make the connection because he had like had such affection for rabbits after his father ate his pet rabbit i mean i was really really relieved to hear that that the, pet, the, the rabbit was not killed in front of them yeah yeah but so it, he's known for having pet rabbits that like you just knew that already well, i read a number of his books and i read a number of things about it and yes okay, uh, okay. and going and going at his house going to his house he no longer actually keeps live rabbits but it is it is filled with memorabilia of his entire career as a paparazzo but also a lot of rabbit shit like not rabbit feces but rabbit like tchotchkes that he collected oh, over the years. okay okay so it's okay. uh yes so there was this other um, strange anecdote from Ron um, about a fight that he got into with Marlon Brando after he spotted him in Chinatown walking around with Dick Cavett and they were wearing matching outfits. That is the most amazing thing. Anybody, somebody should Google um, uh, uh, Ron Galella, Dick Cavett, Marlon Brando, because I mean, the, 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 the episode is primarily known because... Um, uh, Ron Galella followed, and I think it was, I, I want to say like 1975 or 76, followed after after Marlon Brando did a very rare appearance on the Dick Cavett show. Dick Cavett uh, took Marlon Brando to Chinatown. Galella followed them and took so many pictures that, that Brando ultimately punched him in the face and like knocked all of his teeth out. But the most amazing part of this thing, which I couldn't get over, is that like after Dick Cavett did his show wearing a suit, he dressed up in this little outfit that looked just like Marlon Brando. They both had these like matching uh, kerchiefs and matching hat and matching sunglasses. And it was, it was like, it was like a cartoon to see the two of them together. I never thought I would find myself talking about Dick Cavett on this podcast. I, I mean, know that was the most boomer segment we've ever done. Yeah. Like, these are, apologies. these are like big scoops. I was on, a, I was on a zoom call the other day with someone who is in their twenties and she didn't know who Austin Powers was. So oh the, my chances, God, really? that, the yeah. chances that people are going to know Dick Cavett. So I'm okay. so sorry. Sorry. Oh no, no, no. I'm, I, I'm, I'm lusty for Dick Cavett gossip, my God! Oh God! <laughs> you have any? Do you have any Tom Snyder gossip? That's fine. <laughs> I did interview Dick Cavett once, and I have to say that, like Dick Cavett and David Lee Roth, uh, are, are two people who, if I had the opportunity to interview again, I would pass firmly. Oh really? Oh. So oh. they're they're as as they they are to you as uh, Gene Simmons is to Terry Gross. Yes, I would say no, but they're not unseemly. It's just that they are incredibly boring in their own ways. 
Okay. Well, Gene Simmons was not boring. No. Um, I, I actually, I really enjoyed, this was, uh, it was not a tempestuous interview, but I really enjoyed uh, the interview with Joan Collins, actually. Oh, you did? Thank yeah, you. I it thought was, it was great. You... I, I thought she was very graceful and uh, she, she kind of was what you expected her to be in some way, but uh, very candid also. She was very candid. I, I found, um, I did most of my, um, my research reading her first memoir, which um, I felt like um, interviewing somebody 40 years after they've written a memoir, they don't necessarily <laughs> sort of stand behind everything they wrote. So there were awkward moments. I don't know if you uh, got that, that, that I, I actually did break into a, it was seamless. Pretty, for me. It was seamless for me. It, I, I broke <laughs> into a pretty serious flop sweat during the Joan Collins interview a couple of times. Uh, she made me very, very nervous, but uh, you know, people have enjoyed that interview. Um, and I, I enjoyed her. I, I don't know. Uh, I haven't heard from her since. I don't know if she liked it, but um, do you normally stay in touch more? She is so much more interesting than her personal life is so interesting. And, and people, you know, people of my age and I feel like I'm dating myself. They only remember her from dynasty, but the whole pre dynasty period is amazing. I yeah. mean, so I would love it if people listen to that episode. I kept waiting I, for you I to get so to much. the romance novels, and I realized she wasn't also Jackie Collins. So. <laughs> no, she was not her sister. <laughs> was, she was for a long period of time estranged from her sister, though, and we did not talk about that as well. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And then you had a big uh, big success with the Connie Chung interview recently, which got a yeah. lot of attention everywhere. Yeah, we, uh, we made a lot of uh, news. I had seen Connie Chung. Um, you know, sometimes I, I see people and I, I – I can sniff out like a good interview. And I saw Connie Chung, I think on MSNBC talking about her um, Trump interview from the nineties when she, when she did a magazine show on uh, CBS. And uh, she was so, when she talked to MSNBC about Trump, I found her to be so unguarded. And it was just very strange because I felt like Connie Chung was somebody who I feel like was on top of news for many, many years. And then all of a sudden she disappeared. And then she she appeared a little bit. And I was like, I've got to talk to this person and find out what's going on. And she had a lot to say about a lot of her colleagues. I mean, she she you know, she was only the second woman in history to co-anchor uh, one of the evening news programs, which many of your listeners. Right after realize. Dan Rather. Right. She took over from Dan Rather. No, no, no. She and Dan Rather co-anchored. Oh, right. She, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, there, were, there had been a disastrous pairing of Harry Reasoner and Barbara Walters, and they didn't learn their lesson from that. So they co they put a co-anchor about a decade later. It was Dan Rather and Connie Chung, and it didn't work, and they did not end up liking each other. But she had never spoken so uh, uh, genuinely about her relationship with Dan Rather. After that, she went to uh, ABC and she said that uh, working with um, with Diane Sawyer and Barbara Walters was a little like being uh, Nancy Kerrigan and getting kneecapped by Tanya Harding. It was it's really. Uh, <laughs> yeah, quite, she's really tells it like she. It's quite a stunning interview and I'm very, very proud of it. And I and I love Connie and I thought she came off great. Um, so Connie Chung was in, in many ways sort of. She was great. She really was. She was up for whatever question. She she didn't. Did you, you notice know. that she actually she proposed marriage to me? That's that was the first time in an interview where any any subject has. She said that she I, would leave Maury Povich for me. She said that. <laughs> when did she say that? Did you not listen to the interview? Right? You didn't. I did. I did. <laughs> she said she would leave because I understood. I understood having gotten fired from the New York Times uh, for what I felt like was doing my job. I understood uh what 
happened at CBS because she went off and did a bunch of tabloid interviews. Her, her producers had told her to go off and interview Tanya uh, uh, Harding and interview all these sort of tabloid figures. And then when it came time to fire her, they said, oh, we're firing her because she's too trashy and too tabloid. Right. You know, a, yeah. very, a very similar thing. Yeah, happened yeah, to me. Yeah. So I felt like a great deal of sympathy uh, and I could identify with it. And I kind of explained to her that's how I felt. And it, it's obvious that this was the, for years how she felt that she was basically told by her producers that she should go out and get the big gets. And they always, and you know, she talks about why the women in networks are always sent off for the big gets. And think about it. You never see like the guys at network TV or, or you, you didn't then seeing them like go and sort of send flowers to people like Tanya Harding. I mean, it was considered, it was considered something that the men would not deign to do. And so they made her do all this. And then when it came time, when Dan rather made noise about her and said that I don't want to co-anchor, they said, Oh, we're getting, you know, they leaked to the press that she was too trashy. She's like a lightweight. Yeah. She's a lightweight. So okay. I felt it was it was pure misogyny uh, the way they got rid of her. Yeah, yeah, that's gross. Um, but so, you know, just I want to come back to this whole Marlon Brando thing. <laughs> Please, but enough, Connie yeah, Chung. So- Let's talk about Marlon Brando. <laughs> so- Brando comes so- up a lot, right? I know, I know. So you had this episode where you spoke to Joe Esterhaus, who is this famous screenwriter and notorious Hollywood lunatic. Yeah, Joe Esterhaus and, was um, the, high- the highest paid screenwriter for for. At least a decade and a half. He did, you know, Flashdance. He did, um, he did basically Showgirls. Showgirls, then he did yeah. Showgirls. Yeah, Jagged Edge. I mean, yeah. Showgirls yeah. was kind of his finale. But yeah, he was huge, huge. Like those noir 80s movies. And right. so did he do that space he, movie? He did a space, what was that space? Storm, mm, space Troopers or something? No. Super, uh, no, I don't think he did. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Um, what was that thing called? No, but he didn't. Okay. Do it. Yeah. Okay. I stand correct. Okay. <laughs> so he had he had some very interesting uh, Marlon Brando gossip. So without further ado, here is a clip of Joe Esterhaus. Meanwhile, Costa and I are sitting there, and this farmer says, Listen, can I ask you guys something? Did you guys ever fuck a cow? <laughs> and Costa goes, What do you say, Joe? <laughs> Well, there ain't nothing like fucking a cow, you know. Really? So that's common there. He said it almost halfway like a joke because it because it, with, it's with adolescent kids. Interesting. Because I would think that, um, I mean, this is sort of crass to say it, but I think if I were going to have sex with an animal, I might pick something smaller. Doesn't it seem like you'd kind of get lost in the cow? Yeah. Cow's very large. You know what Brando was known for, right? The famous Brando thing. I'm taking a cat, sticking it into a boot by its head, and then fucking the, the cat in the boot. Is this is this well known? Yeah, I don't know if it's well known, but somebody swore to me that it was true. Really? Yeah. Now, the other thing that Brando did that I know is true is we were thinking of Brando for Music Box. Costa sent him the script, and Brando, who was staying on that island that he owns in the Pacific, right. said he was interested in talking about it. So Costa flew out there, and Costa told the story that, um, you know, after like he'd been there, Brando a day, Brando, Brando asked Costa to step into a little room, and on the room were hundreds of bottles lined up on shelves, names on them. And Brando asked Costa to shit into the bottle, because this was Brando's collection of shit from famous movie people. (laughs) (laughs) He really was an eccentric, wasn't he? This guy, like, continues to surprise. So Costa came back and said, no, no, we we cannot work with him, you know. But of course, he shit in the bottle for him, right? Not not good. He swore he didn't. I asked him. He 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 was like, you know, it was one thing to like, yeah, I don't want to work in him, but of course I shit in the bottle. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) 
Okay. So he's just cavalierly saying here that Marlon Brando essentially used to regularly sexually assault cats <laughs> and kept a collection of shit, um, literal shit from Hollywood people. Correct. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, do you, Andrew, believe that either of these things are true? Well, let me let me just put it this way. Uh, you know, one of my previous guests, Bobby Zarum, um, had uh, had told me in the midst of our interview that when he was the publicist, uh, the unit publicist for Saturday Night Fever, uh, he had to compete. Um, he had to compete with Gerard Depardieu for John Travolta's attention because Travolta and Depardieu at that point were having a, a tour. <laughs> yes, affair. I remember that. that <laughs> and I didn't believe exciting. it. I said that is that is patently untrue and i googled uh gerard depardieu and john travolta and there are a million photos of them together and then i was talking to somebody recently from hollywood and they were like why how do you not know that apparently this was like this was an open you know an open secret in hollywood that gerard depardieu and john travolta were a couple and you can see it in the photos and then so esther house tells me about about uh marlon brando and cats and what do i do i google marlon marlon brando and cats there are i don't want to call them erotic photos but he's obviously very (laughs) close to his cats he really (laughs) likes his cats there are no photos of there are no cowboy boots in these photos of cats but i mean look i mean knowing how kind of omnisexual you know we, we we know that there's the nude photo you know the photo of marlon brando with the penis in his mouth we now know that he and richard Pryor did it he was just a very sexual creature so who so i find it plausible that maybe he shoved a cat head first into a boot and and had sex with it oh my I, God. I don't i don't approve of that behavior <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about that behavior, but we didn't raise the topic. They did. They did so. <laughs> we're not the ones. No, Joe. Esterhaus. What do you think? Does it seem plausible to you? I don't believe it. I just feel like, I mean, the, the guy wrote Flashdance, the true story of a woman who is a welder by day and a dancer by night. So he must be. A, She's a, a maniac, a maniac. Do you believe, <laughs> do you believe how, do you believe the poop collection? Do you believe that the, the esteemed I, director Costa Grava made, made up the fact that, that, uh, he, uh, that, uh, Brenda wanted him to poop. In did a jar Costa for- Grava definitely say that, or is Joe Esterhaus saying that he said that? Costa, well, I didn't call Costa. I did not call Costa Grab in the middle of the interview and say Joe has said that you were asked to, to defecate in a in a in a jar. But he told <laughs> Esther House that he absolutely went to offer Brando a part in this movie, and Brando said, "Well, I'll think about it." And 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 in the meantime, can you poop in this jar for me? Because this is my collection <laughs> of 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 poop from famous people. From okay, I mean, we have just... we have gone down a rabbit hole, so to speak. And as the timekeeper of this podcast, I need to wrap this segment up. Um, Andrew, you need before to shut we, it down. <laughs> before we, um, no, I would oh never. God, shut, am I, am I, I would I'm never shut, shut down. I would uh, never shut down a guest, not not an esteemed guest. However, I will ask you to remind our listeners where to find you on social media. Remind us of the name of the podcast. All that. Uh, the podcast is called The Originals, and it's anywhere you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere your your finer podcasts are. And it's um, and we've been doing it, and we're going to do a, a new season soon. We've been doing it in conjunction with Los Angeles Magazine, and it's. I really feel proud of what we've done, and I feel like if people like like inside stories of of culture and show business that it's really really a fun podcast it's really like, great it's really great and i love the the jazz in the background when when is the next season coming out uh when i get it done 
you know, I'm just I, I that's a true I, artiste answer. Yeah. Uh, no, it'll be out. I, I, I would say uh, uh, early spring. Can you tell us who you'll be talking to or is that? Uh, oh, I have I have lots of people on my dream list, but I, I, I can't I can't divulge it. I want. Um, OK, uh, but uh, basically what I'm telling you is there's nobody booked, but there will be. <laughs> OK, I have no secrets. Let's let's move on. Now is the time in our podcast when we get to the ups. These are the little rays of light, little beacons of hope that got us through the week. Rachel, why don't you start us out? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, like, I think the best food is the soup dumpling. Mm. It's really like the greatest. It's a very complicated food. You can't make it at home. And um, AJ loves them and he wanted them for his birthday. And so I ordered them through this service called Gold Bell. Mm. Sort of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like another it sounds, uh, seamless. Sounds like, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's great. Seam- it's does, like an seamless sh- does seamless ship? Uh, seamless doesn't. Do they ship frozen food? Because Gold Belly is usually. No, like- Gold Belly's all like it's like frozen on dry oh, ice. I didn't know you can that. get. Oh, okay. Yeah, you could get like, um, you know, a babka and like locks from Russ and Daughters or like there's like 700 restaurants. Yeah, my kid, my, my son got a, um, a a subscription to pizzas and we had the most amazing. I mean, people shit on deep dish pizza, but we had the most amazing Chicago deep dish pizza. It's recently. great, right? Yeah. 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 So like if you can't go to restaurants right now and I know there's like this whole controversy about indoor dining and um, I think there was a really good article in the New Yorker about it this week. And, you know, if, if you just want to support restaurants that you love and you're not near them, just go to Gold Belly. And this is not a paid promo. It's just where, been a delightful where did you get, experience. Where did you get your dumplings from? Like Sh- Sh- Shanghai or somewhere? Or? Um, there's a place called Nomwa. It's like oh, yeah. a D- uh, Nomwa tea, Nomwa tea Parlor on yep. Doors. Yeah. I just walked by yep. it the other day. Yeah. Very good. That's your yup. My yup goes to Stacey Plaskett, the delegate to the House of Representatives from the United States Virgin Islands. You may not have known that there is a delegate to the House of Representatives from the U.S. Virgin Islands, but she is one of the uh, House uh, prosecutors uh, for the impeachment case for the Senate trial that's going on right now. She is an incredibly fascinating Figure First of all, it's the first time that a delegate from the USVI did anything of note, I think. Um, so to be one of the the prosecutors, what, what do you call those people? The House managers. Impeachment the managers. managers. The yeah. impeachment managers was a great honor. She was Jamie Raskin's law student. And he introduced her by saying, I'm proud to say that she was an A student in law school and she's an A-plus delegate to the House of Representatives, which was really cool. She has a great backstory. She was born in the—her parents are from the VI. She was born in uh, the projects in Brooklyn. She got a scholarship to Choate, Rosemary Hall. She was class president. She was active in anti-apartheid stuff. She was an ADA in the Bronx, and she went back to the Virgin Islands to be the delegate, and uh, she gave a fantastic— a speech on the uh, House floor today, wearing a fantastic outfit, if I do say so myself. Um, yes, that and blue outfit was chic. Yeah, she was really great. cool. Yeah. So, uh, so my up goes to Stacy Plaskett and uh, Andrew. I dearly hope you have a up. I do have a up, and and this is a little more general than than your usual yups. But I have a up for for generally for the 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 effects of alcohol. Uh, <laughs> No, because I, to the choir here. No, because I feel like this week, this week uh, I saw two people who annoyed me because of their perfection a little bit, be made somewhat more human by alcohol. One of them was Tom Brady, who got absolutely <laughs> hammered after his Super Bowl win to the point where he is like a, a boy gone wild on a, a a ship, and he has tossing the Lombardi Trophy from a boat to one other boat, and then he's like, he is he has to be 
pulled off of this boat and brought to his car. He looks like Tara Reed in the old days, the way he is, <laughs> the way he's being dragged along and that humanized him because I felt like I actually have an affection for, for him because he, he was the older quarterback, but I feel like he was somewhat robotic. So it was nice to see him hammered. And then of course, Bruce Springsteen. I, oh. The Super Bowl ad, I, I know people probably had an emotional reaction. My emotional reaction was like, what a bore. I don't want to, I, I don't like this. I, I don't know what he's, he's trying to like, you know, mend fences with it. I did not like his Super Bowl ad. And I feel like, okay, he's ascended to these heights where he has to do these, these kind of political, not political, but not political Super Bowl ads. But then we find out in November, it was a Jeep ad, by the way. Then we find out in November that he was in some, New Jersey State Park, and he got pulled over for DWI. No, it was better. He didn't get pulled over. Like, so this is what I love about this story. It's like he was in the parking lot of Sandy Hook National Refuge or whatever it is. So he was like a teenager who, like, parked in the parking lot of a of a national park and was, like, knocking back beers with his buddies in the it, was it, I, well, in I the hope Jeep. He was- <laughs> was he with his buddies? I hope he was. Because if he wasn't with his buddies, oh, it's actually it's become a much a much sadder story. And it's like a Hugh Grant situation. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. Uh, uh, but but I did, you know, I found it, I found it really humanizing that that the boss could be pulled over. And I found like it probably endeared him to a lot a lot of people in Jersey. And and you know, I liked it. I liked the fact that Jeep like took his ad down. Uh I uh I feel like you know, the 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 Bruce to be canceled actually sort of makes him a little more of the man of the people, no? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I hadn't heard that story. That's uh that's fascinating. Yeah. Huh. And to be clear, I do not endorse DWI. I just think if you're gonna get caught, it's kind of a very Bruce way to get caught, I think. So just be Bruce Springsteen. Just be yeah. yourself. You do you, you do you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this has been an amazing episode. Andrew, thank you so yes, much. Thank oh my you. god, I uh, please. I, if I come if I come again, first uh, I, I I hope that the next time I come, will you send me weed, Rachel? Because you send Brian <laughs> <Fry and> weed. <laughs> Sure. Okay. You won't get a. You won't be able to read the note, but you will get weed. <laughs> you okay. will get weed, okay. and you could just assume that it's from me. And I will. Okay. And I, I know you're not. You're probably going to edit this out, but Brian, I have to say that you know I listened the other week, and I, I like the show so much. I listened the the fact that you were shopping after taking Ambien, and you bought that headband <laughs> with the speakers. I was like, what a fantastic idea! A headband with speakers in it. So because you, I bought it, the home band. <laughs> you I bought it, it not on Ambien? Like, just I like. I was not on Ambien. I was like, shit, that guy, that black guy, like, was really onto something on Ambien. So now I've been, sad, sleeping, right? I've been <laughs> sleeping with a home band on. I look like Olivia Newton-John at night. <laughs> I am not cutting that out. That is making the, making the edit. Okay. Um, Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed Thanks. this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review. Do the same for Andrew's podcast, The Originals. And um, let's see. Uh, it's been a terrible, terrible week, but uh, it's been fun to record this podcast. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. This has been Nope. The podcast where we shut it down. Wanna be my new friend? We got a lot in common.